Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents. Welcome to this episode of the Sophisticated Property Investing Podcast. I am delighted to welcome you to this brand new format of the podcast. We have decided that, yes, we're going to keep the interview format that we've had for the last 100 and 28 episodes. I cannot believe we've had that many episodes now. So we are going to continue with me interviewing our franchisees. We're also going to continue with our master franchisees, so our country owners interviewing me and quizzing me on the deals that I've done, those sophisticated Saturday episodes. We're also going to continue with the caffeine cast, so the audio from our YouTube episodes that we're going to slot in every now and again typically slot one of those in a week. But the new format that I'm excited to announce and that we are leading with today is where I sit down with a country owner and a topic that we think is of value to property investors. And it could be a sophisticated topic. It could be a very unsophisticated topic that we think is perhaps misunderstood, perhaps not given enough airtime or perhaps misconstrued in some way. And so I would like to welcome Mr. Ian Jackson over from Belfast, Northern Ireland. How are you today, sir? I'm great, Frank. Good good to hear your voice. Yeah, <laughs> you say that, but in private, he moans about hearing my voice because I, uh, I give you a rough time sometimes, Ian. Then I... <laughs> so the topic that we've decided to talk about today, Ian and I, and it's not an interview, it's us chewing the fat about basically the property cycle. And Ian and I were just chatting off offline about uh, where we were going to meander with this topic. And I, I think I'll set the scene if I may, Ian, and then I'm going to hand over to you because um, you have been in property a lot longer than me. You've seen far more property cycles. I have actually only seen one complete cycle and I have seen it now I've seen the whole cycle I came into property in 2006 which was just the end of the boom and we properly saw it in the Midlands so I was based in Nottingham at the time um we properly saw the boom about 2004 2006 2007 so I just saw the end of that just buying my first property or two then we saw the crash which pretty much started November 07 and was that that was the global credit crunch. So we saw 2009, 2010, and it bottomed out towards the end of 2010. And we saw basically a flat line for five or so years in the East Midlands. And I just continued to buy property, but there was zero capital growth. In fact, I remember talking to my parents at one point saying, they were saying, how's it going? Like, you're making loads of money. I'm like, I'm buying loads of property and I'm making loads of equity, (laughs) but none of it's going up in value. Rents aren't moving and values aren't moving. And I remember saying to them, I think I've picked the worst time in about a decade to be investing in in property. But, you know, uh, that was it. And uh, you, you can only play the the game that's in front of you. And then we've seen decent capital growth over gradual capital growth, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. And then, of course, we've hit 2020 and 2021, where we've seen meteoric growth. It, uh, my portfolio has seen around a 9% increase in some, some properties has been double digits. In some, it's been 7 or 8%. But remarkable annual growth. I'm talking annual growth there, not just uh, across a two-year period. And 
for me, that completes the cycle. And what Ian and I are going to talk about today is what can we expect next? Why are people continually surprised by a property cycle? It's a cycle. So there will be people that lose their shirts when we go through the next stage of the cycle. There will be people amazed that properties have dropped in value. There'll be people amazed that all of a sudden mortgage interest rates have gone up. There'll be people amazed that their tenants can no longer pay rent. You know, they've been great rental payers for five years and now they both lose their jobs and they're not paying their rent. And of course, that that combination of factors massively changes a what was previously a profitable portfolio. And when, when combined with a lack of capital growth or even property prices dropping, very, very quickly, a rosy situation for an investor can change. And so I want to talk about what one should be doing. So Ian, I'm going to hand over to you at that stage, mate. Perhaps you could kick off by giving us a flavor of, so I've just given you a press say of basically my 14 years in property and that's it. I can't talk about any more. I know stories, anecdotal stories of like my parents bought their first house at, I want to say 22, 21, 22. Um, And by the time they sold it, uh, five years later, it doubled in value, um, which was amazing. Um, they bought uh, a house in West Wales when they were, let me work this out, my dad was 28, uh, mortgage-free at 28, my dad was, uh, because they moved from Kent to West Wales. I'm not sure you could do that now, <laughs> but that was the price difference at the time. And I think that property quadrupled in value over the next 17 years which you know there's not many investments that would do that for you so that was that those are anecdotal instances of of the property cycle at work but let's uh let's hear it from you so you're 64 yeah is that right 64 mm-hmm. so you've seen a lot of property cycles when at what age did you start investing and what have you seen in the intervening uh, decades well i started investing when i was 19 so, wow yeah so it was a wee while ago, so I'm not, I'm not going to go back to, to, to when, you know, that's the nice You've been but... investing for 45 years. I was just working out. That's yeah. incredible. I don't think I've ever met anyone who's been investing for 45 years. So excellent. We've got the right man on the podcast, uh, ladies and gentlemen. That. I think, that, first of all, Northern Ireland is a very different marketplace to the mainland UK. Um, we don't, we haven't experienced the ups and downs like you guys our market basically around 2000, which is when I came into the market full time. Um, I came in the market full time about 2005. Um, so I did because I had a business that I sold to British Telecom in 2005. So I've been in full time since then. Uh, so uh, the market then was the market then was was pretty good. Here we were still about I would say at least 30 percent low below UK pricing. At that mm. stage, so we were. Yeah. And, uh, but the challenge we had was as the market started to heat towards the 2006-07 crash, um, the, 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 the prices shot up substantially over two years mm. to the stage that, it didn't, that you couldn't make money with a rental. You were paying the guts of 200000 for a property that you were getting for 400 a month for. Wow. So, so yeah. it didn't work. Yeah. Uh, so the rents, in other words, the rents weren't keeping in in, in line with uh, with the increase, and of course w- we were behind the we've been behind the eight ball for quite some time with the different situations in our 
political history here mm. has held us back substantially uh, from from uh, inward investing. Uh, and th- then what happened was just bef- around the 2000 mark, we started to uh, that started to clear itself up, and so the market started to accelerate with new uh, uh, with new investors coming into the marketplace. And I mean, new investors not in property, only, not on property only, but in, in 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 mega businesses because our government were were giving substantial uh, opportunities for companies in the states or in Europe to come in and set up here. So that brought a lot of new energy into the place. So people started to to perk up. And of course, it was the right thing to do. This is the time to change your house. Looks things are changing and it's the right time to uh, look to to, uh, maybe move and and, uh, people maybe getting better jobs. Money was more secure. At least it seemed that way. And then, of course, the UK market went into a, a downturn, and um, uh, we caught the cold about three months afterwards. You know, mm-hmm. and but the problem was, by the time it came to us, our market uh, dipped sixty six percent. Wow, that's yeah. amazing! I had and- a house in, in in Belfast in the Greater Belfast area that had been valued in two thousand and four uh, at one hundred and seventy thousand. And in 2008, my, a house in the same estate was on the market at 55000 Wow, that is incredible. It's a two-third drop, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's important to point out, ladies and gents, we're not suggesting that we're no, going to no. see that no, again. No, no, no. I don't, I don't think we've seen that in the history of, of the UK. You know, um, Did everyone at that time, Ian, predict that was everyone no, thinking that, 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 what, what was the mentality at that time well people didn't believe it that's what the mentality was you know because um how would you you can't survive a, a drop of that significance and of course the only people that were able to survive were the ones that had enough income to pay the mortgage mm. but then the, 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 the trouble came when the mortgage term ran out they oh, were they not to refinance yeah. So that hundred and seventy grand property, if they had that fine, what what loan to value were you buying at at that point? Seventy five percent. Seventy five. So because a lot of people in the UK in oh eight oh nine twenty ten were financed at eighty five percent, which yeah, doesn't right. you know you only need a small drop and then you're you're really nervous, um, or you're in negative equity. So at seventy five percent, um loan to value well at 160 you'd have a mortgage of 120 wouldn't you so yeah. you're at like 125 130 mortgage and now your property lending rather and now your property's worth 55 wow yeah so after costs you're putting 50 in your pocket but you owe 130 to the lender yes. that is significantly underwater isn't it yeah at that time i had over 100 in northern ireland yep wow now you also have property in Manchester, you've, yeah. you, you've got 1520, is that right? No, Manchester? no, more not. I've nearly 50 over there. you got nearly 50 over there. Sorry, my, I'm doing you down there. <laughs> and so did you at that time have, have 50 odd in Manchester? Yeah, I did. In fact, it, it was a saviour. Was it? I was, yeah. was going to say that because presumably they saw a drop, but but how big a drop? Oh, they, they, they were okay. We we And the ones in Manchester, like Northern Ireland, I had for a few years, so there was some there was some growth of equity in them. So, um, I mean, whenever we, obviously we had to have a very frank conversation with, uh, with one of our lenders. Unfortunately, um, mm. uh, unfor- well, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, the majority of the properties were funded by uh, one entity. 
Mm. So it, it, when we were able to explain, look, here's the UK market. Yes, it's dipped, but you know, here's the, here's the uh, the difference in the equity there. So the equity there gives some hope that Northern Ireland might come back. Mm. But of course, that's not what happened. You know, we're we're now talking about it nearly twenty years down the line, and our market hasn't returned. I've got loads of questions about this, Ian. It's fascinating, mate, and uh, I'm so grateful that we're having this opportunity to chat about it. Um, because I think we can learn a lot from history. And so that 170 odd grand property that dropped to 55, yeah. I think you said that was 04 to 08. Is that right? Yeah, that was, that was, yes, that was between, that was just, that was a year after the crash. So 09 perhaps yeah. then, yeah. yeah. So um, what is that same property worth now approximately? Uh, there you are. Not a lot more. But really? Seventy nine eighty. Yeah. Wow. So we're still at half what it was then. That's amazing. And that's 12 years later. And yeah. it's still at half the value. Yeah. Yep. No wonder some of the guys in Northern Ireland have, um, have struggled. Now, I don't want to pry in, but I think we can learn a lot from your experience because you didn't go bankrupt when, I don't know if you know any stats, but from speaking to people in Northern Ireland, I've got friends in Northern Ireland, um, You've got clients in Northern Ireland that I obviously work with closely as well. Yeah. Um, a lot of people went bankrupt. A lot of people handed back the keys oh, yeah. to yeah. large portfolios, lost their own homes, you know. Um, but you didn't. No, only because I decided to uh, work with um, uh, the lender and uh, help them out of the mess that that that, that the crash created. You know, mm. and, uh, I, I wasn't employed by them, but it was, I guess, in, in their hands for the next 15 years. And and that deal in itself is fascinating, isn't it? So I don't want to describe this. I know the situation, but I don't want to describe it because some of it might be confidential. But right. they basically paid you for 15 years, didn't they? A salary yeah. to manage <laughs> your portfolio stroke their portfolio because at that point <laughs> they kind of own it they haven't repossessed it but they could take it at any point yeah and so th- there's a saying isn't there if you owe a hundred grand to the bank it's your problem yes. if you owe a hundred million to the bank it's their problem and i and i, yes, th- I think it is but it doesn't feel like that when you're sitting at the other side yeah when they're writing you the angry letters or, or you're sat across from the desk from them with a with a hundred properties underwater yeah by by that margin yeah i guess it's kind of lucky that they're all with one entity and kind of unlucky um but it was was lucky and also i had the great uh support from someone over in uh uh, in the greater leeds area who uh, i knew at the time and who came and negotiated uh for me in fact i could not have done what he did and uh, we owe our family owe our life to him so we do because he was able to Get, and I remember going in to speak to the, the bank, and I knew when I saw the guy's face, he was taking the keys off us. Mm. He didn't want to. He didn't want to negotiate, so he didn't. Mm. Uh, but before we left, and this was a meeting that started at nine thirty, and at one thirty we were still there. Mm. You know, so and and we left at two thirty uh, when he was listening, mm. and from that we were able to build a, a case. And, and, and like over those uh, 12 years, they didn't employ me. What they allowed me to do was to, to take a salary out of the rent. Yeah, so before did, so, you paid them, basically. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, um, but during those uh, 15 years, like I paid them back over $2.5 in rent. And that's the thing. It's a win-win, isn't it? You've right. not gone under, but no. they would have crystallized their losses, yeah. wouldn't they? And if crystallized them back then, what would they got for them? 
Yeah. Well, the structure of the deal that uh, we did with them at that time had never, ever been done in Northern Ireland before. Hmm. In fact, I had to engage. This person was that had helped me had been involved in a very significant banking uh, uh, community before, and he had he had done, he had done this uh, some years before this. So they engaged him to come over and teach him how to write the legals. So he came over here for a full day to go to the bank solicitors and sit down and work out. Look, this is how this is written down. There's two things that really stand out for me in 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 your personality, and the first is your tenacity you are so committed to getting things done and you you do you take action you course correct along the way and you hang in there and make sure things work and the second thing that stands out to me is your network of contacts and just to share with the listeners I had a a vendor a week ago two weeks ago in yeah who's going to lose their portfolio we've tried to buy it the lender won't accept um anything other than full and final settlement as in the, the every penny that is owed to them and that the, the portfolio is in negative equity we've we've made them a, i think a very fair offer that drains the the vendors of their savings which they're happy to put in in order to be able to walk away gets us a bit of a discount on the properties and gives the lender more money than if they repossess and sell and so I look at it and I think that's a that's a, a win-win-win the trouble is we're not talking to a person at this point <laughs> we're talking to a computer that says no <laughs> and it's because the the couple have made every single payment on time and in full for the duration of all their mortgages and so the computer thinks that they're just going to carry on doing that the computer can't accept or acknowledge that they're at the end of their money I found the one person in the world that I know has done this and knows how, and knows the way these lenders work. It's not a small portfolio, so we do have a bit of clout. It's not a hundred properties, but um, I phoned in and I said, "Who who can help me with this?" Because I have never sat down across the table from a lender and negotiated something like this. I've I've negotiated with the computer <laughs> on a single property, but that's very different. Um, and Ian just said, "This is your man." Here's his name. Here's his number. He's expecting your call. Uh, give me, give me an hour, and uh, and I'll introduce you on WhatsApp. And that that couple are now incredibly gratefully, and I've not actually fed back to you yeah. for that introduction because, like you say, you owe your your life and your livelihood, and <laughs> perhaps your marriage. You know how many marriages go under when <laughs> when bankruptcy uh, pops up to to that guy that helped you. Um, yeah, no, definitely do. All those years ago, and now you know. Um, We've got another couple in a similar situation who who might be uh, might be able to achieve a win win solution. So your network of people that you can call upon Ian is uh, is is magnificent. So moving on okay. from your situation, you probably could name fifty or a hundred people uh, that were in property twenty odd years ago. Some of whom have weathered the storm, and some of whom haven't. What yeah. do you think differentiates the two. Now you had the, what would we call it, ambition, the foresight, the um, sensibleness to put a third of your portfolio. You've done 360 odd transactions, but at that time you said you had 100 in Northern Ireland and 50 yeah. in Manchester. There was more in Manchester at that time. Uh, so there was. Oh, okay. Okay. How many did you have in Manchester at the time? Oh, there was about the same, maybe a little more. About, about 100? Yeah. 
Okay, so you had about half your portfolio in Manchester and half in Northern Ireland, which is very sensible, isn't it? Because Northern Ireland is a, a smaller community. You know, it's a, it's a yeah. small pond and it is, it's not like saying, oh, I invest in Nottingham because Nottingham's very connected to the rest of England. Yes. Northern Ireland is very disconnected, isn't it, in many ways? And so, like you say, politically, geographically, etc. So to have half your portfolio on the mainland was very sensible in, in hindsight. In hindsight, But looking at other investors, what do you think are the differences between those that survived and those that didn't? And what can people today learn? That's a big challenge because some people walked away because they couldn't see any other exit. So I think that's very different than those who stayed in because many people walked away because the the gap was so enormous that they couldn't see how it could be fixed. Yeah. And of course, in those early days, uh, you know, the, the banks, the four banks, the four major banks in Northern Ireland still today will not lend on buy to that property. Wow. It doesn't matter how much money you got with them. They'll not lend to you. The only way they'll lend any money uh, for an investment is if you if you if it's a commercial premises and you have a trading history with them and you're looking to buy a new premises. And mm. at that stage, they'll only do a, a fifty or fifty five or a sixty percent LTV, wow. and it'll be repayment over ten years. None of those are so risk averse. Then they're still burnt from it, aren't they? Yeah, they're still yeah. yes. They got their hands well, well burnt. So they did. Mm. So the problem really was, I know people who have walked away and regretted it. Yeah, um, you know. But the problem was there wasn't the there wasn't the knowledge to mm. f- figure out what else could you do because if you've got a, suddenly got a four million gap to fix in your property portfolio, where do you find it? Mm. You know, it's. You can't comprehend that you can make that in the rest of your life. Mm. And so you know, people so just gave up. You know, I, I, like, let's be honest about it. The banks are, are nearly more to blame than the people that walked away because mm. they were they were lending money. I don't know if you've heard the term hope value. <laughs> yeah. So because the market was so hot, if a builder found um, a farmer who would sell him a, a bit of land that he could maybe build 100 houses on, the bank would have lent money on that without planning permission. So that's what they. Wow. That, that's what we, what we termed hope they'd value. Sell on it. Yes, they'd yeah. sell. They'd lend rather based on yeah. on yes, based on development on potential, value. even yeah. even though it's um, agricultural. Wow. The banks are partly to blame. I mean, there's no point. We're not having this conversation to blame. We're having this conversation to help people to understand what Northern Ireland was like in those days. I know people who just couldn't see in their mind how they were going to close the gap. Uh, unfortunately, mm. I come from a background, I was brought up in a, in a way where you don't walk away from your problems. You have mm. to figure out a way to fix them. It took 14 months to get that negotiation over the line. Mm. So those 14 months were extremely uncomfortable. To the stage where I can remember meeting the, fa- meeting the family one, one afternoon in, in a coffee shop uh, when I knew exactly what, how bad things were and uh, having to say to your daughters, by the way, girls, I can't afford to run your cars for you any longer. Hmm. and got the money to put the petrol in them. That's how difficult things were here. You know, I, hmm. I, that, that was my experience, but that, that was one of many. You know, I'm not, yeah. I wasn't the only one who had that experience here. Oh, you know, I, I so when, you, when you're against the wall like that, you, you know, I can't say it's easy to walk away. Hmm. I think what I'd rather say is some people couldn't see any other way forward. Hmm. 
And like, you know, I imagine so, some committed suicide, some divorced. I imagine mm-hmm, you had the whole thing. reaction. See, the ones that committed suicide, it was the banks that caused it. While we're talking about um, the banks, and I, and I want to move on to the psychology of it uh, yeah. in, a, in a moment, um, Ian, because you've described the psychology of after it's all gone wrong, which yeah. I think there's masses to learn from that, absolutely. But I think with some forethought, it's possible to avoid or minimize the chance perhaps not avoid but minimize the chance of getting into that situation in the first place and and i'd like to uh, discuss that in a moment the film i'm watching at the moment that uh, the guys might be interested in um, listening to is called inside job 2010 films only 12 certificate <laughs> although <laughs> i'm not sure your 12 year olds are going to find it that interesting but it's about it's a lot of details like a two-hour movie it's on netflix at the moment and it's like a two-hour movie um about the credit crunch and the global um collapse of the finance markets and i know there have been a few of them but i think it's very well documented and you, you use a phrase a minute ago and you said it was partially the bank's fault. And and I agree, partially being the operative word. Someone's borrowed yeah. money and someone's lent money, but the lender is a lot should be a lot <laughs> smarter about it. But that inside job, it's actually um, uh, narrated by Matt Damon, <laughs> of all people. It's a really interesting movie, and it does give you quite an insight into the psychology behind the lending and, and then the problems that the banks had because... I think they, uh, the, the, the number of people that lost properties and, and were bankrupted globally was in the tens of millions, which is unbelievable. So, so um, Ian, we've, we've talked about after it's gone wrong, but if you were talking to a room of investors now, right, and you've, you, we've already said we don't expect, you never say never, um, but we don't expect for property prices to drop by... 66 percent in in the uk again and and it's funny isn't it unless and i was gonna i was just gonna talk about um the black swan effect Mm -hmm. and that's a book by taleb i can't remember his first name um uh, it might come to me and he talks about the fact that you never know what the next black swan event will be but they come remarkably um regularly and you know the global uh financial crisis the credit crunch you couldn't have said, oh, it's going to be a credit crunch. It's going to be a global meltdown of the financial services, but it happened. And then you couldn't say that the next one was going to be a uh, a global pandemic of, of, a, um, of a coronavirus strain. But these things do tend to come around quite frequently. And if you'd thought, if you think about like, three years ago, you and I would have been sat here and said, oh, we'll never see a 65% drop in in um, property values but for a period of time and i want to say it was six or eight weeks i forget how long the property market stopped in england and wales there were next to no viewings there were next to no actual moving of house now we continue to purchase but um the estate agents were all shut, so it was direct-to-vendor negotiations. We were buying properties, but typically our vendors don't even need to move house because they're second properties or they're inherited properties or um, sometimes um, there's already tenants in situ, etc. So had that continued for, let's say, 
12 or 24 months, I could foresee property values tumbling. <laughs> it, it, it definitely could have happened had the British government not bought in um, a stamp duty holiday, for example, we, we might have seen a big drop in, in property prices. So I think it's important never to say never. But let's let's just assume that we've been through a property cycle and we're going to go into another property cycle uh, at some point. And one of my mentors used to say, there is going to be a crash and then there's going to be a boom. I just can't tell you when and in what order. <laughs> I think it's a really good way of thinking about it. We're going to yeah. see some some prices drop and we're going to see some prices go up. We've just seen prices go up quite for quite a long period of time and in the last couple of years quite aggressively. So one would expect, looking back at history, that we will see a uh, a drop in prices. Let's just start with that as a premise in that, you know, that we one would expect that given the last hundred years of, of UK property prices. Here in Northern Ireland, it's been a little bit different. Our market has gone up about 10% in the last uh, 12 years. That's all. Yeah. Uh, so it has. And it's staying level at that. What the stamp duty has done is encouraged people to go ahead and purchase where they were sitting back thinking about. Yeah. In, here in my market. Now, yeah. we have seen prices go a little bit crazy where somebody wanted something, but mm. nothing like what you guys have experienced in the, in the, uh, in the mainland. Our market here is, is, is probably the most secure it's been in my lifetime. Yeah. At the moment, our rents have come back up to really decent levels now. Uh, so they have. And our properties are, I mean, from an investment point of view, you're, you're not going to get the return on investment anywhere else in the United Kingdom than you are here. That 170 grand property that was bringing in 400 a month that then dropped to 55 grand four years later and was presumably still bringing in about 400 quid a month. Um, yeah. You said it's worth 80 odd K now. 650 what now. What, what is it? 650? Yeah. Wow. All of a sudden it works? Yeah. I was going to say, not. There's. I don't think there's a property in my portfolio that, that performs that well. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So hence why your your partners in Northern Ireland are steaming into the buy-to-let market. <laughs> yeah. The market's hot where the rental is concerned because what you have to remember is when the crash came, there was 80% of the people who had a mortgage were in negative equity. That's a lot of people. So what has happened is as these people have came to the end of their term, They've been able to pay the, the, the payments per month, but when they came yes. to the end of the term, they have not been able to refinance. They've had to walk away on it. Even 10, 15 years later. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Scary, isn't it? And and I guess you know, that's why the Northern Ireland market is so stable now. It's because those memories are still there. It's very fresh, isn't it? It's very raw. And so people aren't going to get carried away anytime yeah. soon. So from a psychological perspective, Ian, if yeah. there's an investor listening to this now and they've got five properties, 15 properties, 50 properties, and they're yeah. thinking, I've worked hard for this. I don't want to lose it all in the next crash or the next time the bubble bursts. Um, what did you see before the last crash in investors that survived it? What were they doing differently? And let's use you as an example. You split your portfolio between England and Northern yeah. Ireland, quite sensible, yeah. but but that's a geographic split, uh, probably yes. a lot harder. Buying 200 properties in Northern Ireland on your doorstep would have been a lot easier than flying over to Manchester all those times. Um, yeah. But what else did you see in people that survived that people now could emulate? Most people in a crash, if you're in, if you're a landlord in, in the rental game, if you've got enough rent coming in to pay um, your, your mortgage, then you're okay. Hmm. 
Right. You know, and what I did was I, I knew I couldn't fix this completely overnight, mm. and it wasn't going to. I wasn't going to fix overnight. So it was for me. It was a fifteen-year plan that it wasn't, and it wasn't even my plan. But it was the only way I could move forward and uh, and, and keep my uh, morals that I wanted to keep. And what I did was then I looked for other opportunities. I was buying and selling cars and other th- sorts of things during those fifteen mm. years to top up until the market recovered. And the market hasn't recovered the way we expected it might do, but the market here is very stable now. We, we, we it's extremely unlikely we're going to we're going to feel a drop in the marketplace here. Certainly not in the next five years. I can see the market's going to change dramatically. We're going to have a crash because we haven't grown enough since. You know, we're not even back to where we were twenty years ago. So where where can we go? I mean, you can't. Houses. Um, I'm building uh, a new house at the moment for myself, and um, we've also got another side pass that we're going to build on. And the prices for building are going up; they're not going down. Mm. So you know, there's, there's there's there comes a stage when you're buying a two up, two down for um, in Belfast for what sixty five, seventy five grand. How do you build it for? It? Mm. Well, that two up, two down in Manchester is selling in in some areas. For about 160, 170, which is, which is the crazy money we were at when we crashed. And you're not predicting a crash in Manchester, but what you are saying is the 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 value that is there, isn't it, in the Northern Ireland market? So, yeah. Yeah. so let's go back to that investor. That's let's just for argument's sake say they got ten properties. What would you be doing now if you were, if you were mortgaged at eighty percent, eighty five percent, seventy five percent as an English? investor right now and you're looking ahead and you're thinking do you know what i think we're gonna see the bubble burst what would you what three things would you be doing now uh what three things i'd be doing making sure that i've got haven't got any empties you know there's no vacant properties Mm. and if there's any if there are get them rented um Mm. and uh just check out if there's um uh, that you've got the right mortgages and you have your mortgage terms are long enough to tie you over a bump you can make the payments if you come to the end of term, you're good. Before this moment, I've never thought about the full term of a mortgage. And that's that's one of the disadvantages of only being in property for such, such a short period of time. None of my mortgages have come to the end of their terms yet because I've only been yeah. investing for, for, for such a short period of time, 14 years. I look, I've been looking and advising actually for, for my clients to be going on a variety of terms. But when I say terms, I mean fixed rate terms. So five years, three years, two years, one year variables to protect against interest rate rises, which as we talked about the, at the opening of this podcast are, are likely to go up. It's like a perfect storm, isn't it? It's all likely to happen at the same time. And one thing happening is likely to precipitate the others happening afterwards. But what I hadn't thought of is some of my mortgages are now 14 years in. And so they might only have six years left on them. If we go into a a drop in prices now, that might make it really hard to refinance in six years time. Whereas right right now I could refinance quite easily a chunk of my oldest mortgages, put them onto nice five-year fixed, three-year fixed rates, which would be nice for the next few years and protect against short-term interest rates, but it would protect massively against long-term. I'm 39 years old. They'll happily give me another 20, 25-year term mortgage 
and would protect yeah. me. And I, I'd not thought of that at all, Ian. Yeah, it's a very wise reflection. So you'd be putting, you'd be getting them full. I agree. I'm going to add to that if I may and say I'd be establishing strong relationships with my tenants. I don't think it's very hard when you've got a hundred properties and you're using letting agents, but I would start off by establishing really good relationships with my letting agents. I'd start getting really good at the numbers. Now, uh, Brad Sugars, uh, founder of Action Coach talks about getting fat and lazy during yeah. the summer season. And we're in the summer season right now in England. We've had capital growth. So people can refinance really easily. We've had rents go up quite substantially and we've had interest rates at, at historic lows, unbelievable lows. And so people are paying less in mortgages. They've got more rent coming in and they've had, got a very easy market to refinance in or to sell in. We're getting fat and lazy. You know, we're, we're habitual creatures. If something's really easy, we assume it's just going to be easy forever. Ever. Yeah. And then That's comes awesome. winter, <laughs> which is a very painful season. And so when we're fat and lazy, we're not watching the numbers as closely, the majority of us. We're not investing in those relationships. We're not perhaps on top of maintenance, et cetera. So I think if you can do all of that now, if you can get your properties in tip-top condition, not by wasting cash, but by being prudent, um, if you can build really strong relationships with your letting agents, keep them on their toes, chase the rents when they're a day late, you know, correct the 50p error on their statement. They'll realize that you're someone that they need to look after and need to be on the ball with. Or if you manage your own properties, go and have a coffee with your tenants, go and inspect the properties, check how they're doing, find out what jobs they have. We hold a, uh, a file on all our properties. We have got floor plans on those properties. We've got marks out of 10 for condition. We've got marks out of 10 for uh, location so that I can sit down in my desk and work out which properties. Now, I've got too many to visualize them if that makes sense. I, I can't, uh, and you with your um, uh, big portfolio will be the same, I'm sure. And I haven't been to some of my properties since before I bought them. So I haven't been in them in six, seven, eight years. But what I've had is I've had my team go around them and give me all the information I need to work out if I can convert it to a HMO, if I can turn it into an SA unit, if I can yeah. do blah, blah, blah. And what I would be doing now to protect myself and am doing is looking at that portfolio and going, right, that tenant's coming up to the end of his tenancy in X amount of time. I'm not going to re-let that. I'm actually going to transform it into this strategy or that strategy, or I'm not going to use a letting agent. I'm going to manage that directly and I'm going to form a really good relationship with that tenant. Or, oh my goodness, all my tenants are employed. That is a risk. If I've got 10 properties and they're all employed, that's a risk. I'm going to bring my next couple in on housing benefits so that if we go into a recession, I've got a few tenants that can't lose their jobs, etc. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that, filling your properties with the right tenants in the right way. Um, we've talked about mortgage term. Anything else you'd be doing if you had 10 yes, properties? Every time one comes through, can we now look at it in a different view to see uh, we've converted a couple into SAs, which uh, have increased the rent substantially. Uh, there's yeah. quite a bit of investment there, of course, because you have to do them up to a different level and then furnish them and stuff like that. But uh, it, it does pay itself over the period. And I put one on in Scotland last year. Um, that was a, really a – it was – a real pain in the, in, in, of a property. It just in a location where it was very difficult to get to, um, and right up in the north uh, east. And really, it, for the last 
since I bought it 15 years ago, it's always been a real pain in the backside, if you know what I mean. You, you got people in, but they didn't stay or they got something yeah. went wrong or whatever. So um, we decided we even put it up for sale, uh, but we weren't getting uh, – it wasn't uh, attracting enough money to be able to pay the mortgage, and I was sure I I'm, was definitely not going to put money into it just to sell it. I took the bull by the horns last uh, May, took my team from Belfast out there, and we hit it. And we did everything to it that it needed to be done. We spent, I think we spent, uh, we spent well over 20,000 on. So mm. we did. So now it's worth, instead of worth 100,000, I couldn't get 100,000 for it back then. It's now worth 160, 170,000. And in three months, I pulled in seven and a half grand rent. And it's well worth it. And what was it getting? That's the rent that we got annually. Wow. Three months. You, you have quadrupled your rent but also if you kept having voids actually it would have been a lot less than that yeah. over a three-year period yeah and that's it now you've got something that's going to support the rest of your portfolio if times get tough as opposed to be a drain so yeah it's i think that forethought and making these important decisions when the pressure's not on when the pressure's on, everyone's doing them. Everyone's going to be refinancing at the same time. Everyone's going to be struggling. Um, it's, it's, it's like the investors that get all their gas safety um, certificates done and get their boilers put. So what typically happens is boilers break in October, November, because everyone turns their boilers on at that time. And if you then replace your boilers in October, November and get a gas safety certificate, every year you're going to have your gas safety certificates renew in October, November, which is when all the plumbers, all the gas plumbers are busy fitting new boilers that have just broken. And it's the, yeah. the savvy investor that goes, well, I'll get them all done in July. I'll have a week in July when they all need doing it. And I'll do a deal with a local plumber who's going to do all of mine at instead of 65 quid or whatever, I'm going to get them all done at 50 quid. And that's going to save me X amount over all my properties. And he knows he's going to go around and do them all. I'm going to give him all my keys. I'm going to write a letter to all my tenants a fortnight before telling them, blah, blah, blah. And it's just that forethought, isn't it? By being that organized, you never have to worry about gas safety certificates again. And, and I think, all of these things like you in, you've not waited until you need the money from that property. You've done it when you don't need the money. And, and the problem with waiting until you need the money is you probably wouldn't have had the 20 grand to do the work (laughs) and you probably wouldn't have had the headspace to fly to Scotland with your team for a a week or a fortnight. So yeah, it's fascinating. Really, really fascinating. Before we wrap up, have you got anything else to, to share on the topic of property cycles in? You know, I think that while we've experienced a very significant uh, correction in the market here uh, in 2007 uh, I think we're well set. It's probably the, the safest part of the United Kingdom to invest in for the next 20 years because our, our market growth is being restricted from the point of view that um, everybody's afraid to let the prices go daft, you know, um, mm. I know it, within the last, I've been speaking to some agents uh, within the last month, our market was heating up a little bit uh, because of the stamp uh, duty uh, holiday. But the uh, surveyors were not allowing stupid prices to go through. Mm-hmm. They were coming back with, with uh, price corrections, you know, because I, I spoke to an agent and she had six in one week that uh, had been downvalued. So hmm. in a downvaluation situation, you, you either put the money in yourself or or the uh, or or the vendor decides to take what they can get for it, you know. Mm. So 
I feel our market is being managed price. because it's yeah. a smaller market. I think the lenders are are seeking to manage it. Mm. Which is brilliant for for investors. I, I, I will finish on that, Ian, if I may. Um, yeah. I know you've uh, had fantastic success in bringing on board franchisees in Northern Ireland. Yeah. I, I sat down with your guys in Belfast a, a couple of months ago and went through their results over the last um, 12 to 24 months, depending on when they came on, and life-changing um, portfolios that your guys are building, which is amazing. Um, but for the g- people listening, if they want to go and build themselves a portfolio with EPP support and your support in um, in Northern Ireland, how many territories do you have remaining yeah. for EPP franchisees in Northern Ireland before it's full? Because I think, am I right in saying it's about 3 million people? So there's not a lot of, <laughs> not a lot of territories left. How many have you got yeah. left? We've only got six left. Six. So you heard it here first, guys. You've got six um, territories left in Northern Ireland. If you want to go, I cannot believe those numbers. If you want to go and buy 80 grand properties that bring in 650 a month in uh, in rent, and it's not without its challenges. It, you've got very few no. buy-to-let lenders. You've got a very colloquial way, if I, if I can put it that way, of, of investing. Am I right in saying land registry is not even um, digitized yet? It's still on paper? Still paper. Yep. Still in paper. So it's like going back in time, isn't it, in England? But the numbers don't lie. And 20 years of almost uh, very little capital growth um, is, as you say, a, a, a market that's uh, that's A, stable and B, primed for for good growth moving forward. So Ian, it's been a pleasure chatting, mate. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your 45 years of property investing wisdom. That's uh, that, that will stay with me, that number. Um, thanks once again, mate. All the best for uh, your ongoing journey. Cheers, mate. All the best. Bye-bye now. Ladies and gents, hope you enjoyed that new format episode of the EPP podcast. If you have comments, if you have questions, if you have suggestions for topics that you would like me to chat to country owners and experienced franchisees about, don't hesitate to pop them in the comments. Let us know. Drop us an email. Go on the YouTube channel. Put it in the comments or just pick up the phone and give us a bell. Until next time happy investing sophisticated property investing a podcast brought to you by ethical property partners the experts in sophisticated property investment